What's up witches? It's Jess here and welcome to this week's episode of True Crime Coven. Hey guys, as you might be able to tell, this week Claudia is still off, so it's just me, Jess, here. While we do have a collaboration, they have recorded separately this week, so it's a bit of a new one for me, recording by myself. Um, But we have collaborated with a podcast called The Ugly Game. So, The Ugly Game is a podcast that launched in early 2023 and they cover crimes of footballers and other sporting stars. Their first season has focused on everything from cartel leaders, cannibals and killers, with tales from all around the globe. They are currently working on season two and plan for even more detailed and interesting stories. Each episode is around 20 minutes long, featuring narration, news and audio snippets. You can find their podcast on all major podcasting platforms. This week, they are going to bring you a true crime case based on football. And I have a little bonus paranormal freaky story about football too. With that introduction, here is the true crime case from The Ugly Game. Welcome to The Ugly Game, a brand new football podcast covering the dark side of the world's most popular sport. From ritualistic killings committed by popular local players to highly publicized instances of murder and betrayal, we'll visit all four corners of the globe to explore soccer's seedy underbelly. Since the FA banned females from playing football in 1921, Women involved in the game have been fighting for the same exposure and financial guarantees as their male counterparts. There is no doubt, though, that the sport is thriving in 2023, with expanded international TV coverage, pay structure improvements, and new investments into the grassroots of the game. The Euros and other similarly successful tournaments have been particularly important for attracting more female and non-binary fans to the sport, evidenced by the fact that viewing figures for women's matches have more than doubled in recent times. Last year, as press attention remained focused on the controversial Qatari World Cup, the European Women's Championship was causing headlines for all the right reasons. And England have done it. Breaking news, it has come home. The Lionesses have beaten Germany 2-1 to win their first ever major tournament. Look at the scenes up and down the country. 56 years on from England's sole World Cup win, the nation can finally celebrate a first Euros victory. Today's twisted tale takes us to Central Europe, France in particular where women's soccer is extremely popular. Though Olympique Lyon have remained dominant within the French domestic league, capital club Paris Saint-Germain have frequently been named among the strongest teams in the world. As a result of this, 
the reigning cup champions have regularly signed some of the world's best players. From American superstar Tobin Heath to skillful Brazilian forward Christiane, PSG have made it a habit to recruit from leading clubs on the continent. And this was certainly the case when Kira Hamraoui arrived from Barcelona in July 2021. A talented French national team player, Hamraoui was reunited in Paris with her former teammate and fellow midfielder, Aminata Diallo, whom she'd gone on holiday with to Dubai just a year prior. Though the 31-year-old was signed in the knowledge that both her and Diallo would be competing for the same spot in the team, they were good friends during the midfielder's previous time at PSG in 2016. Anticipating a friendly rivalry and a continuation of their close relationship, little did she know that Diallo would go to extreme lengths to retain her place in the starting 11. What's painful about it for me is the fact that sport, part of what you use to sell sports, especially to youngsters, is the character building, you know, the development of teamwork and so on. So this runs completely contrary. Born in southeastern France to parents of Senegalese descent, Aminata Diallo was small in stature, but had gained a reputation as an energetic and skillful player. With a handful of international appearances to her name, the midfielder initially joined PSG in June 2016 and was a favorite among fans and teammates. Winning the French Cup in 2018 and also reaching the Champions League final, disappointing loan spells in America and Spain had left her career at somewhat of a crossroads. The arrival of the vastly experienced Hamraoui only complicating matters further. Sensing a divide within the squad and to strengthen unity in the squad, a meal had been arranged by club staff for the evening of November 4th, 2021. Proposed as a bonding activity between teammates, an upmarket restaurant in Paris was chosen as the venue. With most of the squad in attendance, drinks had been flowing, conversations had been exchanged, and a pleasant time had seemingly been had by all. As late night approached, the group disbanded, leaving the attendees to make their way home. At this point, Aminata Diallo suggested that she drive Hamraoui and another teammate back to their living quarters, an offer which was politely accepted. The second passenger, another PSG teammate, lived considerably further away, therefore she was dropped off first. This left the two alone in Diallo's vehicle, driving off in the general direction of Hamraoui's apartment building. Pulling up outside of the plush apartment complex, Diallo said her goodbyes and sat watching as her teammates stepped out of the car to make the short journey through to enter her luxury suite. Located just a matter of steps away from her security-coded door, two men suddenly emerged from an inconspicuous white van which was parked nearby. Masked, disguised, and wearing darkened clothing, the mysterious group immediately dragged Hamraoui to the floor, pinning her against the gravel as Diallo helplessly watched on in complete horror. 
beaten viciously against the legs with a large iron bar, the physical assault lasted several agonizing minutes, while the disguised attackers took it in turns to hurl obscenities at their helpless victim, before suddenly speeding away. Left confused and dazed, Hamraoui's handbag and valuables remained beside her while she had sustained bruising and cuts specifically to her leg area. Matters would only unravel further once the talented midfielder had left the hospital. Shaken and injured, but otherwise fine, the assault had left her needing stitches, while the lower half of her body was covered in large bruises. Amazingly, she did not suffer any broken bones, though it looked unlikely she would be able to play football again anytime soon. This incident could not have occurred at a worse moment in time, as PSG were due to face Real Madrid in a crucial European match just days later. As her club teammates trained in preparation for this important showdown, Hamraoui remained housebound, fearful of a follow-up attack. Quickly identified and tracked down within a matter of days, four men were arrested in connection with the assault, and the organized gang were surprisingly open about their involvement in the incident, admitting to police that they were in fact the culprits. Investigators were appalled to hear their justification for the crime. A payment of 500 euros sent to each of their bank accounts courtesy of the seemingly innocent Aminata Diallo. We don't know what evidence, if any, the police are working on. We don't know what they have against Diallo, but it's impossible not to at least notice the anecdotal evidence. There is some, some objective competition between the two for playing time and for playing opportunity. Each of the men were interviewed separately and each told the very same story of Diallo approaching them, with the promise of a cash reward for seriously damaging the shins and legs of her rival teammate. With Hamraoui, of course, out injured for an indefinite period, Diallo started the club's next match, starring against Real Madrid in an important 4-0 victory. Widely praised for her exceptional play in the wake of such traumatic events, Fans and colleagues alike were stunned when the following day, Diallo was taken into police custody on suspicion of organizing the attack. Initially released without charge, the French international player was interviewed by police and denied all involvement. Released and allowed to train just two days later, the persistence of newspapers and fanatical media coverage made way for another bombshell revelation. Reports had emerged overnight within a popular French newspaper that a former Barcelona men's player, Eric Abidal, was set to be questioned by detectives after it emerged that he had begun an affair with Kira Hamraoui some years prior. Police had established that the SIM card in the victim's phone was strangely listed in Abidal's name. Linking this back to the night in question, the masked attackers are alleged to have labeled Hamraoui as a homewrecker during their verbal tirade, though the married man's infidelity was only known by a select few. Neither him nor his wife have ever been under suspicion by police, 
with both voluntarily speaking to law enforcement, providing solid alibis. The question remained, however, who knew Hamraoui well enough to share such personal information with her attackers? Recovered fully from her injuries by the start of the new year, both Diallo and her midfield rival returned to training for the second portion of the season, though the atmosphere was far from pleasant. Press speculation and the squad's existing relationship with Diallo meant that she was backed by almost all of her teammates, while Hamraoui was shunned for voicing her suspicions. Misguided PSG fans unveiled a large banner in support of the long-serving Diallo during one league game, and in contrast, her accuser was regularly booed by fans who believed she had simply pinned blame on her teammate out of spite. Dropped from the France squad completely, Hamraoui was scapegoated and isolated by most of those around her, with her teammates even celebrating a goal by making a distinctive A symbol. This was explained to be a sign of respect for Diallo, who had also been dropped for her headline-grabbing antics. Strained relationships certainly affected the remainder of PSG's season, as they lost their title to Lyon and disappointingly failed to progress in the Champions League. Perhaps the most incriminating development entering the early months of 2022 were results of a wiretap on Aminata Diallo's phone. Though Diallo was only considered a passing person of interest at the time, intercepted messages and browsing activity from around the date of the attack cast serious doubt and left even her biggest supporters asking questions. One message found on her device and sent to a friend described how she wished them all pain. In reference to teammates at PSG, other menacing discoveries included Google searches for how to break a kneecap and research on how to produce dangerous drug cocktails. Diallo, who was taken into custody yet again, consistently maintained her innocence from the start of the investigation. Although initially she was charged with aggravated assault, the controversial midfielder was soon released on probation. In the preceding months, a fifth man was arrested for his alleged involvement, leading Diallo to contest her innocence publicly yet again. Speaking to the press in October of 2022, she categorically denied any involvement whatsoever, stating that she did not know any of the five men who alleged directly that she hired them. Despite publicly expressing her surprise at being embroiled in the saga, PSG was set on disassociating themselves with the controversy, and Diallo was released from her contract soon after. A pro soccer player in France under arrest charged in connection with a violent attack on one of her own teammates. The case, understandably, is drawing comparisons to the attack plotted by U.S. figure skater Tanya Harding's ex-husband on her teammate Nancy Kerrigan before the 1994 Winter Olympics. I couldn't believe this. More recently, the accused footballer has completed a move to Spanish club Levante who cautiously handed her a six-month contract. This deal is due to expire midway through 2023 and could even be terminated prematurely should Diallo find herself involved in any further scandals. 
Kira Hamraoui, meanwhile, has made a triumphant return to the France national team. Following a year of absence and speculation, she has since opened up on the attack, explaining how she feared for her life as she lay on the pavement, surrounded by strangers in the middle of the night. Doubt still exists in the mind of the footballer, who has revealed that although she trusts in the process of justice, there's still the possibility of another assault taking place while the case is ongoing and true motives remain unknown. Away from football and away from her accuser, the process of justice for Hamraoui has been slow, though she's thankfully suffered no lasting damage to her legs. Criminal proceedings continue to rumble on in the background. While a current judicial review prohibits Diallo from contacting Hamraoui, the rest of the PSG team and other suspects involved in the case, there are sure to be plenty of other twists to this strange tale before all is said and done. If you want to hear more tales of footballers and their crimes, subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform of choice. And be sure to check out our previous episodes. Goodbye for now. <laughs> Thank you, The Ugly Game, for that case. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. And then as a little bit of bonus content this week, I also have a football-themed paranormal story. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed researching it. Just a disclaimer before I read this. It is set in Africa, so I apologise in advance if I pronounce any of the names wrong. On the 25th of October 1998, the Basanga football team travelled to Benetahedi to play a highly competitive game of football. Both teams are from the Democratic Republic of Congo and with their homes at the threat of being torn apart by war, they both wanted this win. It was a rainy Sunday, but it was still mild enough to play football outside. With water on the pitch, this gave way to a fast-paced game and it wasn't long until half-time brought the game to a 1-0 draw. Both teams were eager to get ahead, but what happened next was something no one saw coming. Out of nowhere, there was a freak lightning blast which struck the pitch, illuminating the entire stadium. Once the blast died down, all 11 players of the Benetahedi football team were laying on the floor, dead. Not a single one of these athletes had any previous health complaints or had complained about feeling unwell prior to the match. They were all aged between 20 and 35. Looking to the stands, 30 additional people, mostly spectators, were also injured with burns. But as for the Bassananga team, not a single one of them was injured. They were completely unscathed. Now, this isn't the first instance of lightning hitting a football stadium in Africa. As according to NASA, Africa is the lightning capital of the world. Due to the size and the material used to build the stadiums, I'm given to understand that it is a desirable place for lightning to strike. So, although it isn't a common occurrence, it isn't unheard of for lightning to strike a football stadium and people get injured. However, 
This is the only case where one team has been entirely affected by the phenomenon, sadly causing death, and the other team has walked away completely unharmed. Instantly, people began throwing around accusations of witchcraft. This part of Africa still has a strong connection and a belief in witch doctors, and they have been known to play a role in fixing football matches. The most famous being a Ghanaian witch doctor known as Nana Kuaki Bonzum, whose name literally translates to devil. It is said he aided Ghana winning against Portugal in 2014 during one of their group matches in the 2014 World Cup. He did this by injuring Portugal's best player, Cristiano Ronaldo, who was ruled out of play due to an injury. The injury was tendinosis, which is an acute inflammation of the tendon. Whether this was the work of Nana Kouaki Bonsam or not, he was very happy to publicly take the blame for this injury, and he was proud of his work. A slightly more scientific theory, if you will, for this phenomenon, is due to the footwear of the players. Now, I don't in any way claim to know what is a good conductor of electricity, but the theory is that one group of players had rubber-soled shoes and studs, which is a poor conductor of electricity, hence why one team is completely fine. The other team, however, were thought to be wearing metal studs, which, combined with the water on the pitch and their own sweat from playing football, became a great conductor for electricity, resulting in their unfortunate deaths. There is also a chance that this story is entirely made up. I couldn't find anywhere the initial article where this instance was reported, as it was an African newspaper in the late 90s. But that seems to be where all the facts are from. This one newspaper. There are no names of players, no sources from their families and no eyewitness accounts. There were no survivors to come forward to back up the story either. There is somewhere on the internet that claims to be a video of this football match and in it you can clearly see the lightning strike and a lot of players fall to the ground injured while some seem completely unharmed. However, in this video it is a mixture of players from both teams that seem to be affected and not just one team. Also seen is a few players falling to the ground but moving around and not dying. You are going to try and find the video for yourself quick google search for this football match and it will come straight up however just a quick trigger warning for the video you do see a lot of young men in obvious pain i hope you have enjoyed this episode of true crime coven's collaboration with the ugly game we appreciate it is something different and we will be returning to our normal format once claudia is back from her break however if you have enjoyed this episode please let us know as there will be more episodes like this coming up on patreon So if you would like more content like this, please, please, please sign up to our Patreon account. As always, if you have any case suggestions, cryptid suggestions or ghost stories, they are always welcomed here. Also, apologies that this episode was a little bit shorter than our normal one, but I couldn't find another story as good as this one. And this one wasn't very long. Um, as I said, because there wasn't loads of information about it. And unfortunately, I don't have anyone to go back and forth with this week. 
If you have anything that you want to add or contribute to this story, please email it in as well to truecrimecovenpod at gmail.com. And with that, there's just one thing left to say. Stay safe and stay spooky. Hey guys, if you have a ghost story or a case suggestion, please email us truecrimecovenpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at True Crime Coven or on Instagram and Facebook where we are at True Crime Coven Pod. Also, it would mean the absolute world to us if you could rate us wherever you're listening to this right now, be it Spotify, Apple Music, or if you're on YouTube, give us a little thumbs up, click that bell, get notifications every time we post. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from. Make these two witches smile. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, witches. witches. Sorry, Simon.